Welcome to Synergy Mindset Coaching, the community and podcast designed to inspire your mindset and help you take daily action towards your goals and achieve your dreams. I am your host, Gina Johnson. You will hear stories of people that have overcome tremendous struggle and difficulty. They share their journey with you to give you hope and encouragement that no matter what you are facing in life, you can get through it and know you're not alone. Our guest today shares his story of a failed suicide attempt that led to a relationship with God. Viewer discretion is advised as some graphic violence is described while we discuss drugs, addiction, and suicide. Today I ask you, how do you get free from struggles and pains that started in the generations before you? What happens when a parent is not equipped with everything they need to parent well, and they're not able to learn the skills necessary? Our guest today shares his story of a difficult and dark start to life, followed by a struggle that nearly led to suicide. He takes us on his journey of finding God, hope, and healing, all the way to starting his own ministry that will one day do the same for others. Without any further ado, please welcome Rob Decker to the show. Hi, Gina. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. And before we dig into your past, would you tell everyone just a little bit about your life today so that they can get to know you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because like the story itself is like pretty dreary. I mean, it it ended pretty positively, but um, a lot of times people will hear the whole testimony and, and not get a dose of like what really goes on today. But um, yeah, I'm a personal fitness trainer in Colorado Springs. I have a, a beautiful wife of five years. Uh, we've been married five years in, in March. And we have a two-year-old, Caleb Joseph, and he's going to be the next Mike Trout, guarantee it. Um, my wife is actually close to five months pregnant with a baby girl. Uh, I'm a, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, we're going to add to the family. Um, yeah, you know, um, what I do today now is, is I am a personal fitness trainer. That's just part of what I do. Uh, for me, it's a little bit deeper than that. You know, I, I like to tap into people emotionally and spiritually. Um, I speak at churches. I, you know, I share on podcasts, you know, I've, I've, I had a chapter in a book. And, and so for me, I try to share my personal experiences uh, with other people and, and lift them up and give them a, a form of hope. Um, for me, fitness carried me through my uh, rehabilitation process and my fitness was actually it lined up with my faith a lot um, you, you know when you tr train and, and you have to learn how to walk again and all that good stuff um, you really learn a lot about yourself and I think that with patience or with with fitness you have to be patient and, and in your faith you have to be patient as well and um, <laughs> in my process I, I had to cry out to God a lot so um, they definitely go hand in hand with each other. So yeah, it's a little bit about who I am and what I do. Yep. Before you open up the past, would it be all right if I start with prayer? Of course. I've never done this before on a podcast, but I just, I feel like it's really important before you kind of go into some of those darker places. For sure. Absolutely. Father God, I thank you today for bringing Rob to the show and having the courage to open up about those difficult days. And I just pray that you send protection for everybody listening and his family, that uh, the Holy Spirit is with us and the healing of Jesus, and that someone hears this story today, tomorrow, a year from now, and that they're given hope in their own journey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Very beautiful. Yeah, that's. Uh, I'm glad that that was the first time you've done that. That's very um, bold of you. My story starts with my mom. Um, my mom was about 16 or 17 year old, years old when she got pregnant with me. Um, my mom came from a pretty rough background herself. My mom was the oldest of five children. Her dad was an alcoholic, very abusive. Uh, she was kicked out of her house at a young age. She was raped. She was beaten. She was thrown foster home to foster home. And so when she got pregnant with me, um, she was actually encouraged to have an abortion. And my mom was very against that. My mom wanted to have me because she wanted someone to love her. Um, and she wanted to love something. Uh, she didn't have a lot of that in her life. About six months after I was born, she met the man that I would call my father. 
he ended up getting my mom pregnant and his family made them get married. Um, Mm. You know, I don't remember much until about the fifth grade. Uh, The fifth grade, I remember coming home with a certification that had uh, my name on it. And when I brought it home, uh, I was then informed (laughs) that my dad was not my dad and that my sister was not my my real sister. Well, at least she was half my sister. Yeah, so my dad had shown... And I hope I don't confuse anyone by calling him my dad, but he's my dad because he's the only guy I really ever knew. Mm-hmm. Um, I did meet my biological father, but that's later in the story. But his mom told him that I wasn't one of them and that I was to change my last name. I was to have that removed. And so at a very, very young age, I was black sheep, kind of like how my mom was. Mm-hmm. And and um, that separated me really, really, really quickly as my sister and I got older, there was definitely this this issue between us because we know who her dad was and, and, and he wasn't my biological father. And that created a lot of strife and division between us. Mm-hmm. And I think for my mom, she always just wanted to protect me mm-hmm. the best that she could because my biological father wasn't around. Uh, my dad was a pretty tough guy. He was he was a very hardworking man. He he definitely provided for us, but he had his issues with the drugs and the alcohol, smoking. Um, pretty pretty tough guy. He was an ex military guy. He he was a fighter uh, in, in the Marines as well. Um, you know their parenting styles conflicted greatly as we got older, um, creating more division between all of us. You know, mm-hmm. and and I grew up. You know, I'm almost. 41. I'll be 41 next month. And I grew up in an era where, you know, if you beat your wife, you know, you were, you go to jail, you'd be out, you know, 20 minutes later, you know, just to do it all over again. And, you know, that's growing up in the eighties. And so I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of that. I saw a lot of, I saw the drug use, you know, I used to walk in my parents' room and they'd be cutting stuff up and, and, and sniffing it and stuff like that. And I was told that it was aspirin. So I didn't realize it was drugs, but it, it was drugs. Um, I believe that we always had enough money, but a lot of that money went toward the drugs and the alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my mom and dad, they just never really clicked. And by the time I was a teenager, my um, my dad had left my mom to go move in with his girlfriend. My mom had a boyfriend my mom was on meth my dad was on meth my sister who was like a year and a half younger than me was on meth I think my sister started using meth when I was I think I was 14 and she was like 12 and a half 13 years old Mm -hmm. um you know my my mom was getting it from my sister's boyfriend at the time it was just uh that was just the environment that I grew grew up in the normality of the drugs the alcohol the violence the broken relationships and I started drinking at I want to say 15 years old, 14 or 15 years old. And then I started smoking marijuana. The marijuana eventually led to acid. Acid led to shrooms. Shrooms led to ecstasy. The ecstasy led to cocaine. Um, my teenage years were definitely rough. Like I got kicked off my baseball team. I got kicked out of school a couple times. Um, I got in probably a dozen fights within the four years I was in school. At one point, I had a shotgun pulled out on me. Um, and a lot of it just had to do with my drinking and drug use and, um, getting very very verbal with people. And, and this went on for quite some time. I think I was about 17 years old when we finally got kicked out of our house and, you know, everybody was strung out and everyone went off and did their own thing. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to meet some people that really cared about me in, in, in high school and they, they did their best to take care of me and show me love and show me what family was, but there was always something missing for me. Um, I wanted to be close to my own family. I wanted to be close to my dad, even if he wasn't my biological father. I wanted mm-hmm. to be close to my sister. I wanted to have that that you know son mother relationship. It's just stuff that I always yearn for. Um, in my twenties, I constantly got into really bad relationships, and and if they were good, I would sabotage them anyway. Um, and in my twenties, I I really become a drug addict and an alcoholic, and didn't even realize it. You know, I thought it was just fun. But at the same time, I knew that I was numbing a lot of the pain that was uh, left in my past. I think it was about 
when I was in my late 20s, I got this job where I met this young man who kept preaching to me about Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I kind of shook him off. He was a cool dude. He was a, he was a really nice guy. And at the time, um, at that time, I had a, a girlfriend or I was seeing this one young lady. And, you know, I was um, very uncommitted. I was mm-hmm. very, you know, I was I was always seeking for what worked for me. Um, I, whatever total survivor mode, you know, I, I had to get the most out of every situation out of every person. And, and so, you know, I was dating, I would date these women and I have women on the side and, and I ended up meeting this other young woman at the bank. And at that time I was selling steroids and HDH and making a living that way. And she worked at the bank and, and I ended up sparking up a relationship with her. And, you know, from the very beginning, I knew it was a, a very bad relationship. I, I knew it was something I shouldn't have got into. And the girl that I was seeing at the time was actually really, really sweet. And uh, I ended up, like, hurting her really, really bad when she found out that I was seeing this new girl. And, and um, very early on, this relationship was very destructive. And we got to a point where we had to separate because it was it was going to get really nasty. It was going to get really violent. It was, it was heading to really really ugly direction. And in the, when we broke up, uh, my buddy that had been preaching Jesus to me all the time invited me to a Bible study. And at this time, you know, I was a full blown drug addict, alcoholic. I was selling drugs. I wasn't working a real job. Um, You know, I was just kind of floating in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only thing that I was doing was working out. Working out was probably the only thing that I ever did positive for myself. Um, but that's all I was doing. And I ended up going to a Bible study where these men prayed over me and, and, you know, I, I received salvation that day. And I remember the experience and the, the chills that ran down my, my spine and being in an air conditioned room and just sweating and shaking. And it was just, it was a supernatural experience, but unfortunately I jumped back into the world and, um, I ended up getting back with this young lady. I found out that this young lady was escorting. So the girl that I'd previously broke up with, we started seeing each other again. A friend had pointed out what she was doing on Craigslist. She was escorting on Craigslist. And so I reached out to her. Yeah, I reached out to her and, you know, I had the new God factor and everything. And, you know, I, I didn't want her doing these things to herself, but she wanted the money and she was okay living that lifestyle. And, um, in that process, um, of us getting back together, she was supposed to be getting rid of all of her, her clients. And she went on vacation with this one last client to Hawaii. And while she was there, he had beaten her and he had raped her. And these were, this was what she is showing me through text messages and pictures and conversation that we were having while she was there. And, uh, you know, she, she called me up and she, she wanted to make everything really good. So when she got back into town, she picked me up at my buddy's house and we were watching the Lakers game and drinking and stuff like that. And, uh, we shot to the liquor store after she picked me up and picked up a bottle of alcohol, went back to her place. And then we get into talking about everything that's going on. And, you know, between the alcohol, the newfound faith, the problems that we just had or what was going on. And plus the things that had happened to her in, in, in Hawaii, like, I was just kind of a mess and, um, she wanted to get intimate and I, I, I couldn't do it. Just didn't have it in me. And, um, we argued about it. And so I went downstairs to, to shake it all off. And, um, I remember waking up to a banging door on a banging noise on the door and it was the police department. And they said that they knew I was in there and to, to get out of there. And she came walking down the, the stairs and I asked her what happened and uh, she said I called the cops and I told them that you raped me and that you tried to kill me and in that moment I was just like I was so so broken and so lost and so hopeless and so scared and felt betrayed and I mean when they say your life flashes before you like just the visions that I was getting in that moment was just way too much for me and and in that moment I was like it's not even worth living. And so I ran headfirst out of a three-story loft window with the intention of breaking my neck and killing myself. And uh, 
on my way down, my foot clipped an awning and changed my fall, and I ended up breaking my back, shattering my left arm, breaking my wrist, and collapsing the lung. And I just remember laying there on the ground, couldn't breathe. I was having such a hard time breathing. And I'm looking up at that window, and I'm asking God, why? Like, why would you let me live? You know, this just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. I, I remember the ambulance showing up, and... Um, going down to the hospital and it seemed like forever by the time I even went into surgery I was in so much pain I was you know it was like unbearable pain and I woke up in the morning and shortly after I woke up I had an external fixator on a cast I had a catheter I had heart rate monitor and oxygen coming out of my nose pain medication coming out of my neck and the police walk in and they're like Mr. Decker you're under arrest for rape and attempted murder and uh they shackled me to the bed (laughs) yeah and um so i'm laying there and um i had so much pain and so much pain and and i remember you know i had 24 hour surveillance i was under uh, under arrest and i remember one of the police officers he just he didn't want to be there and i almost feel like he was like fighting with someone on his cell phone i think he was texting somebody um and, uh, you know, he's, he's like, you know, I'm over here reading the report, Mr. Decker, and you're such a horrible guy. And, you know, you did, you know, bad things. And, and, uh, I just kind of, I started to break down. I started to break down and started crying. And I was just like, you know, I've made a lot of dumb choices in my life, but that's just not one of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I really cared about her and, you know, maybe I didn't do it the right way, but you know, that's just not something I would do. And, the nurse comes in to calm me down. She's just like, Mr. Decker, you need to calm down. And as the nurse is leaving, the young lady walks into the, to the room and the cop looks up and he's a little perplexed. And he's just like, is that who I think that is? Mm-hmm. And I agreed with him. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, for someone who's been through all that, that this just doesn't make absolutely any sense. Mm-hmm. And um, so he escorted her out and that's the last time I'd ever seen her. That later that evening, I was laying in bed and I'm just asking God, like, what's up? Like, what is going on? What are we going to do? What happens from here, you know? And uh, in that moment, in that moment of that conversation, I I got this overwhelming peace that just kind of shut out my pain, drowned out all the noises, cut out all the light, and just gave me this great, great peace. And I just hear this, this voice say, the charges will be dropped your bills will be paid and you will walk again. And I doze off into this vision of playing soccer, which that makes sense way, way, way down the road. But yeah, not then, hey? Right. Not a, well, none of it made sense, right? I mean, the reality is, is as medicated as I was, as scared as I was, you know, like that's not the kind of stuff that you just kind of fabricate yourself, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I remember waking up and the lights, the noises, the sounds, the people, you know, the pain, it was all back. It was all back. And, and a few days passed and the police came in and they were like, Mr. Decker, we're dropping the charges, you know, only wish you the best of luck. And I'm just like, wow, the charges got dropped. Now in a later time, when I got out of the hospital, they tried to pin it on me again. But in, in this moment, like the, the charges had, had got dropped um, at that point I was allowed to have guests. And so my mom was my first guest and, you know, my mom and I weren't on the best of terms. Like my mom had her own demons and struggles and battles and her and I weren't on best of terms. And to be honest with you, the last thing I said to my mom before I jumped out of the window a couple of days prior was, uh, not something you say to your mom. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I remember she walks in the room and I saw her outside the door she was talking to the neurosurgeon and uh, she just puts her, her, her face in her hands and she's just bawling. And I know what he said, you know, he, he told her that you'll never walk again. And I'm like, what's up mom? You know, what's going on mom? And she's like, nothing, son, nothing. (laughs) And uh, I was like, I'm sure I know what they said, mom. She's like, yeah, they said you're never going to walk again. (laughs) And, um, you know, she looks at me and she just goes, you know, son, I just wish it ended all that day. Um, oh. And and you know what? I, I receive that as my mom's version of love. I receive that as my mom was a broken woman who had a broken childhood and a broken adulthood. 
And now she sees her firstborn broken into pieces because his life went to crap. And she just didn't want to suffer. She didn't want me to suffer. And so I received that with, like, that's my mom's version of I love you, you know. And and I was totally cool with that. I was totally okay with that. And um, right after after we had that conversation, the nurses came in to, to try to get me out of the bed. And I knew for a fact I wasn't getting out of that bed. But what I did do, because my mom was in the room, is I totally sucked it up and I, I, you know, thought about Jesus and what he did on the cross. And I was like, well, you know, I know what you did for me. And, you know, cause I had plenty of time to think about that in the hospital of what Christ did for me. And, and so, um, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give this a shot. And I, I, I tried to get out of bed and, you know, it hurt all over again. It felt like a ton of bricks just hit me right in my, my gut and my back and my side. And, I squealed and the nurses had to inject me with, with pain medication and lay me back down. And they're just like, you know, it's not happening. He's not walking. He's not even standing up. And uh, shortly after that surgeon comes in was like, well, we're going to perform another surgery then. Um, after that surgery, I think it was two, two, two or three days after that surgery, um, the nurses got me up and I was able to drag my foot. And I knew that, um, dragging that foot was going to lead to me walking again. So I was just glad that I was upright and I was very excited about that. Um, it shortly after that, I received the bill and that bill was like 800 plus thousand dollars. Um, and they tried to force me out of the hospital. They didn't want me there anymore. They didn't want me to stack up the bill. And, uh, I eventually, uh, my mom eventually took me home and, when I was there with my mom, you know, it gave me an opportunity to really understand who she was, to really appreciate who she was, to understand that, like, she was so broken and that she had been through so many things. And I remember my mom walking in one day um, from work and I just started crying and I was just like, Mom, I love you so much. And and I think God just kind of gave me a revelation of who she, she was and what she's been through. And and in that moment, I was really able to start building a relationship with my mom. Um, but in the meantime, I still had to uh, learn how to, to move better. You know, I was eating pills. I was eating pain medication. Mm-hmm. I was drinking alcohol to numb some of the physical and the emotional pain. I mean, I was praying and reading my word. but And I had Christian brothers coming to the house and taking me to church and stuff like that. Um, back brace and all. You know, yeah. these guys were... Yeah, these guys were taking me to church to try to give me some some God and some fellowship. And, uh, you know, that was like a, a couple year process where I was just I was just broken and beaten, you know, and, and I was just constantly asking God to help me. Eventually, I had to get out of my mom's house because my mom started using my pain medication, um, you know, because she had her junk. You know, and, I, you know, I was staying with friends and and then uh, I ended up having another surgery. You know, they were just like, well, you're not healing. Well, you know, I wasn't eating well. I wasn't, you know, I was around cigarette smoke, marijuana smoke. I was smoking some of that marijuana. I, um, you know, I was definitely still drinking alcohol and my body just, it just couldn't heal. And, and so I ended up having another surgery where they opened up my back and just kind of tried to well, they tried to lock everything in together with, with the hopes that it would fuse, but my back just never fused. It never fused. And um, I spent the next couple years, you know, at a friend's house living in a garage trying to uh, rehabilitate. And I had another buddy who would take me to the gym and we'd work out together. He originally, he originally took me to personal train him because I was a personal trainer before I broke my back. And so he wanted me to personal train him. The moment I touched the weights, I was like, oh, here we go. Like, this is <laughs> happening, right? Like, you know, when I when I jumped out of that window, I was 215 pounds, pretty solid guy. Three weeks into my hospital stay, I was 160. So I had lost 50-plus pounds in the first three weeks of, of um, laying in that bed, not being able to eat all medicated and hurting. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, after a while, like, I just – I was lifting the weights and, and – and, caught a buzz for it again. And, 
even though I was still taking pain medication and drinking and stuff, like I was doing something positive and, you know, I would go for long walks by myself and I would pray and I would go take my Bible to, to the park next door and, and read. And, you know, over time things just started getting better and better. And, um, eventually I started getting off all the medication and I was living off a disability for, for quite some time there, but I knew that's just not where God wanted me. God didn't want me living, you know, on all this medication and, and living off a disability, living off the government. He wanted me to go out into the world and share my personal experiences with people and to really make a change in people. And, and so I kept that hope throughout this whole process of like, God has me here for a reason. I got to strive forward. I mean, trust me, there were so many times I couldn't get out of bed and it was hard to put one foot in front of the other. And the pain was so immense. I, I would just break down crying. Um, it was, it was horrible, but at the same time, there was so much to be worked out inside of me and so much to be, to be learned. Mm -hmm. And I eventually got a job at a gym and uh my thing was like i'm gonna go in that gym and i'm gonna help people that are like broken spiritually and i'm gonna help make them better people and um that was a very short-lived job i didn't have that one very long but the really cool thing about that job was my boss's roommate was asked to train with me to see what kind of trainer personal trainer i was mm -hmm. um that girl that i trained is now my wife <laughs> oh yeah. So, so God used that situation to really get me back into the workforce and meet Alyssa. Um, I remember the first time I went out with Alyssa, I was still drinking and, and, you know, I prayed, I'd ask God, you know, he'd got me off of all this pain medication. I was up, I was moving, I was working out all the time. I was gaining weight. I was getting strong. I was doing all these amazing things, but I couldn't shake the alcohol. I just wasn't strong enough. I'm like, Lord, you're going to have to take this from me. This is just, this is you. This is what I need you to do. I don't have the power. And um, I remember the first date I went on with Alyssa and we, we went to BJ's Bar and Grill and I ordered a pitcher of beer. And she's like, I don't want any of that. And I'm like, it's cool. It's all mine. You know, yeah, <laughs> <I> mean, yeah. <laughs> this is actually, this is just for starters, just to give you the heads up. And, uh, you know, she, she goes, you know, I don't like that. And in that moment, I was like, Lord, she's the one and this is how you're going to get me to quit drinking <laughs> like this is it but don't but don't think for a second i'm not going to put up a fight because i'm definitely putting up a fight uh... um and i put up a fight i put up a fight for nine months and it created a lot of problems in my relationship with Alyssa. but she stuck it out with me and uh you know two weeks before i actually quit she stopped drinking she's like you know what i don't want you to drink so I, i'm not going to drink so she had stopped and, and then um, I was still drinking and I ended up getting behind the wheel of the vehicle and uh, so many bad things could have happened that night. I ended up trashing her car that her grandpa, her deceased grandpa had bought for her. Oh, wow. um, yeah, I ended up under a house, running through a creek, bloody, wet, cold, police looking for me. And I was under the house. I was under this house. and I'm like you know, Lord, you've done some really cool stuff in my life. You really, you spared my life the first time. And who knows how many times you spared my life, but you know, you, you gave me the ability to work out again. You know, I, I'm able to work a job without being on disability. Mm -hmm. I have this amazing woman in my life. Like I'm over here throwing away everything that, that you've done for me. And, and, uh, I pled with him under that house. I was like, you know, Lord, you're very just, and you can, you know, you have every right for me to have to suffer every consequence that comes before me, losing her, losing my job, going to jail, all of it. Like, but here's the deal, because <laughs> that's what you do. You negotiate with God, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but if you spare me, if you spare me in this situation, I will, I will quit my job and move to Southern California because we were living in Northern California at the time and Alyssa had just graduated San Jose State so she wanted to move back to Southern California where her family was anyway okay. so I'm like I'm like you know I will quit my job transfer down south I will move with Alyssa and I will marry her if this is what you want for my life but here's the best part I will quit drinking God I will quit drinking 
no more after this if you bail me out of the situation. At the end of it, he pretty much bailed me out of the situation. Um, I ended up moving to Southern California. We ended up getting married like a year later. Um, I haven't drank in in six years. And, you know, the best part of that situation was that after that, that, after the whole event, like I was so shook and I was so grateful to God for sparing me again. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had no desire to drink whatsoever. And so, um, you know, we, we were in what we were in Southern California for four or five, five years. And, um, I remember on our honeymoon, we, we came out to Colorado Springs and fell madly in love with it, uh, and vowed that we would eventually start a family and move out to, to Colorado Springs. And so we made our way out here about seven, eight months ago, we got here in, in, in late August. Um, I've been so fortunate to, to still work in fitness. I've, I've met a lot of folks in recovery, uh, a lot of pastors at churches. I actually train a pastor right now. Um, you know, God has opened up some incredible doors here. And I'm very passionate about wanting to help people that struggle with drugs and alcohol or suicide. Um, you know, I was suicidal for many years. I just concealed it really well. And so the moment that I committed to jumping out of that window, that was just kind of the moment, you know, I knew it was going to eventually happen and it happened. And so, you know, I have this heart not only to help people physically, but to help them emotionally and, and, and spiritually, you know, um, sharing my faith with them, sharing my fitness with them and everything I learned through the whole rehabilitation process. I know that you know, people struggle. There's people that struggle with weight. You know, it takes time to cut to get all that weight off. And like, I remember what it took took for me to have to walk and move well again. It's like, it's this long, tedious process, and sometimes you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. And and so, you know, I just love, I love digging deep, and I, I love helping people address a lot of their their childhood issues. You know, I'm not a therapist in any way. I'm not a psychologist in any way. I'm not a doctor by any means, but I know that when I reflect on my life and I see God's grace and, and I see what forgiveness done has done for me, you know, for me to accept my parents for who they were, I had to first forgive them and then understand who they were as people and where they learned the things that they learned stuff from. And, um, just recently I, I spoke with a, a gentleman who was very su- suicidal and depressed and, uh, we started talking about those things and trying to get him to understand who his wife is, what she grew up with and why she is the way she is and who his parents were and why they were, you know, and and it's like people start having these aha moments. It's like, you know, when you can forgive them for what they knew and what they did not know. um, And most likely they did their best job that they could do. um, and, And really seeing into who they are as people well, things start to change for you. And um, I love having these kind of conversations with people. And then like, all right, now you're going to do 10 push-ups, go. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> that's awesome. You know, <laughs> that's what we're doing, right? Like th- there's a form of, you know, strength and determination. And um, that comes with all the physical strength training. But, you know, you can, you'll start to really feel out how like your, your emotional, spiritual, physical, like all body just kind of, works together, you know, and, and when you can start cracking down in one area, you can start cracking down in other areas as well. So I just want to add in really quick, if anyone's come into the call late that you're listening to Rob Decker speak, there was no way he could share like the entire story of his life in such a short amount of time. He's done a great job in like half an hour. So you can check out his website, robdeckerspeaks.com, and also at the show notes, synergymindsetcoaching.com, Rob Decker. So Rob, please go ahead and continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, anyone can check me out there at robdeckerspeaks.com. And, you know, right now we're in the midst of, and when I say we're, it's my wife and I, uh, creating a fitness ministry. Uh, That fitness ministry is going to start in my home. What I want to do is I want to give a safe place or a sanctuary for people to come to be able to open up. Um, We're going to work, you know, it's fitness. But um, like I said, my fitness and my faith run hand in hand with each other. And so it's an opportunity for someone to feel safe, uh, 
um, to, to, to find a friend, a brother, a mentor um, that has been through it, you know, themselves. You know, I, everyone I know either has thought about suicide, has attempted suicide, um, struggled with drugs, alcohol, knows someone that has. Um, you know, I was, I had a rough upbringing with my family. Most people have. You know, I was molested at a young age by uh, uh, a boy neighbor. And, you know, I even had to forgive that guy. You know, I, I had to forgive the woman that accused me of, of, you know, rape and attempted murder. And, you know, how freeing all that kind of stuff is. And so, you know, right now I'm in the midst of, you know, building a gym in my home mm-hmm. to allow that to come, come here. And eventually uh, the bigger picture is to create a transitional home for people that are coming off of drugs and alcohol. They're trying to get their life together, their family back, get back into the workforce, get their, their licenses back, but to have a gym within that home so that, um, you know, fitness is a great teacher, trust me. Um, (laughs) so that house will be full of faith. You know, it's not going to be a typical program. It's, Hey man, we're going to crack the word. We're going to pray. We're going to talk about God. Like these are the things that really work for me. Plus, you know, we all need fellowship. We, we need that. We need someone to listen to us. We need someone to talk to. Um, and then we could do some jumping jacks and, you know, we'll combine jumping jacks with Jesus, you know, some, you know, push-ups and prayer. You know, that's the kind of stuff that, that I really want to get into long-term. So um, as of right now, that's what's in the works for us. I have this vision. It's like the cornerstone, faith, family, fellowship, and Jesus. Yeah. Faith, family, and fitness is pretty much going to be the credo, right? You know, a lot of people don't have um, family. And so mm-hmm. I, I would love to be a brother to someone, you know. Um, you know, fitness, you know, we could all use it. Faith, we could all really use it, you know. Um, you know, they all kind of, they help each other out. You know, without the faith, I couldn't love my family as much as I do. Mm-hmm. You know, fitness taught me a lot about hard work. You know, family, you know, now that I have a family, one that um, actually functions well, yeah. um, you know, you know, I realized you have to have the courage to break the cycle. Mm-hmm. And and that's what I had to do. I realized I was here for a reason. I'm like, you know, dang it. I have to break this cycle. Like I just see what my mom went through. And even with my dad, um, you know, the story that I know about my dad that I don't think he ever addressed, you know, he never really, he never, he believed in God. He would call him the big guy. You know, I believe in the big guy upstairs, but he never had any kind of active relationship with him that Mm -hmm. I knew of. Um, You know, from my understanding, his dad raped his mom and got her pregnant and there's my dad, you know? And so I know that, that really can stick with somebody, even though it's not on the forefront of their mind, like that little thing, well, it's a big thing, but like that, that could really own somebody for uh, a lifetime. And I think that that's something that my dad dealt with, you know, my dad, he just passed uh, October 10th of last year. And my last interaction with my dad, so my dad was like the tough, hardened military guy, you know, and, um, you know, my, my dad, my last interaction with my dad was actually on his birthday on September 27th. And I wished him a happy birthday. I told him I loved him because I do. I love my dad with all my heart. You know, I, I really do. No matter what has happened, I love him with all my heart. And, uh, you know, I sent him a video of Caleb playing baseball or hitting off the tee. And my dad was like, you know, good job and keep up the good work, son. Aww. And yeah. And that wasn't my dad. That wasn't my dad at all to do do anything of the sorts. And, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of weeks later, he was found dead. He was found dead. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, we got the toxicology report and it, it uh, showed that he overdosed on methamphetamine and that he had hypertensive uh, cardiovascular disease. And uh, it just broke my heart. It really broke my heart. Um, because this was the man that was supposed to teach me how to be a man. And he let the drugs and the alcohol, he let his whole life of pain um, own him. You know, I, I truly believe that I ran to the drugs and the alcohol mm-hmm. because of pain. And, you know, when I started addressing pain and understanding where it came from and forgiving, once again, um, you know, a lot of those things would 
start to remove out of my life. And I just don't think that he ever addressed any of that stuff. It was kind of the whole, like, I got this, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm tough, you know, and, and I can do this, but the drugs won. The drugs beat, beat my dad at 63 years old, relatively young. You know, my mom turned 60 this year. She's been clean for two years, but just think about your mom doing meth into her fifties. My sister, you know, she struggles. She's still struggling. Um, when she, when we lost our dad, um, she ran back to a certain lifestyle, you know, and, and, uh, it's hard because it's still there. All that stuff still in a sense surrounds me. Um, the drugs and the alcohol and the pain and the past, um, that for whatever reason, my, my family can't shake some of that stuff. We just buried my uncle. My uncle died because he was partying and doing uh, drinking alcohol and he ended up crashing his motorcycle and becoming a vegetable for a couple of years and caught him pneumonia uh, a few times and they just couldn't keep him alive anymore. And so the day that they had my uncle's funeral is the same day that um, we found out that my dad had overdosed. And so, and that just happened recently. And so I just really have this desire for people to one, get to know Jesus and, and two, like, help people address the drugs and the alcohol and the pain in the past, you know? Um, and for those people to go off and help other people, you know, uh, we can't do it by ourselves. Um, but I would love to see people get healed and then go out and heal other people and, and change what's going on in this nasty, nasty world. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's just like becoming disciples, going out in the world, helping others, you know, you give what you learn share it with others. Absolutely. And, and that's all I'm really trying to do. I'm just trying to share my experience and do that with others. Um, one question came up as you were speaking that I just seen somebody today ask about mindset and they asked, you know, can, can you work on mindset if, if Jesus is like the ultimate of the healing? And I'm just wondering in your experience, did your mindset play a role in your ability to heal and to walk again? Or would you say all of it was faith-based? Well, I think that, you know, what's in your heart impacts your mind. And, mm -hmm. you know, because I held him so closely to me, you know, I think it was by his power that I was able to do those things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you have to understand, like, you still have decisions to make, you have choices to make. Um, that's, that's your gift. Choice is your gift. And, and, um, I, I still had to, in the, the midst of all the darkness and hopelessness and the lack of light ahead of me, I still had the choice to get up and let those feet hit the ground and go for that walk or go for that workout and to do those things. You know, even though I had faith and I had Jesus in my life, like, you know, there's you have a choice to continue to lay there in bed or for those feet to hit the ground. And so, you know, I, I totally believe that my mindset was driven by my faith for sure. You know, I mean, when you really start to understand who Jesus Christ is and what he did for you and what he took on and the amount of physical, emotional and spiritual pain he took for those in the past and the present and the future of all mankind, like, that's nothing. What you're going through is nothing compared to that. And so, you know, when you start to like, man, look at him, mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, that, that helps drive a mindset, you know? Um, yeah. and that's what helped me a lot, you know, and, and I just wanted to be, I wanted to do really good things for God because I look at my whole life and even though a lot of bad stuff happened to me, you know, um, I, I wanted to touch on, I said I was going to touch on my, my biological father. When I was 16 years old, um, when my dad had left the house, he was with his girlfriend and my mom, you know, um, she was on her little meth bender. You know, she thought it was a good idea that I met my biological father. And um, I remember being in school all day and super nervous to see this guy that might look like me and to get to know him. And I remember showing up at the house and looking for my mom and I walk in her bedroom and he's there smoking the glass pipe, you know, oh, my, man, my biological father's a method, you know, like, yeah. you know, 
it's just like, man. And even in the midst of all those type of experiences, I still see God's grace and goodness in my life. And um, I believe that he had given me certain gifts and abilities. Um, and I totally abused those in the world. But, you know, it was time to give back and glorify him and, and to help people. You know, and there was a lot of people along the way. My buddy Benny and Joe and their families, like uh, Kurt and Ken, like these guys, that their families took care of me, and so I, I got a lot of I got a lot of help in 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 all my dysfunction and all my my craziness and all my my brokenness. I I, I still received a lot of help. Uh, there was a lot of caring people along along the way, and so uh, you know it's just something I want to. I just want to make my dad proud, you know. <laughs> beautiful it's and you see it looking back right when you look back but you couldn't see it then yeah i mean when you're in the midst of your your garbage it's it's your garbage you're in the midst of it and uh but i look back and i'm i'm so grateful for all my experiences because truth be told is no one wants to listen to a guy that hasn't been through anything <laughs> you know yeah, i mean who yeah. you're not gonna you know there's so many people that have been through some dark traumatic things in life that they've probably never told anybody and then they hear someone so freely talk about all the garbage they've been through i, I would say that 95 percent of people could relate on some level to something i've been through um and and i think that god allowed me to go through a lot of those things or he knew i was going to go through a lot of those things because the end game was not really about me it was about those other people and helping them and so um, i'm very grateful as crazy as it sounds for all the stuff that I've been through. Well, I hate to have to switch gears, but I want to respect <laughs> your time. And uh, people can, you know, come find more of your story at your website and yes. read that first chapter of your book for sure. But I don't want to lose the chance to ask you to share with us your favorite book and your favorite podcast. My favorite book. I mean, that just goes without saying it's the Holy Bible. <laughs> Um, there's nothing that comes a close second to it. You know, I think that's been the best piece of literature for me and, um, and helping me grow as a, as a person. And, um, it's so in depth that you will continue to learn from it. Um, things just kind of show up. You can read the same thing over and over and, and eventually something new will show up. Um, my favorite podcast, you know, I've been on a lot of podcasts um and you know to be honest with that I, I don't listen to many of them um but i will have to give eric nevins and sean mcdermott and um you know my buddy chris out there some some love for their podcast i won't name them all off um but yeah i've, I've been on a few and i respect everyone that's allowed me to be on their on their podcasts and but there's not one in particular that I listen to. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay, but uh, I'm hoping for your own podcast one day because I don't know if there is such a thing as a gym ministry, and I think that's such a blessing to the world. That'd be an awesome podcast. Yeah, you know, if we can get faith and fitness to line up with each other, and and you know, people to uh, have uh, take that that step of faith to do those things, like that'd be great. You know, um, talk to real life people that have been through real life things and and have used their faith and their fitness to do so. And and even if they they struggle in either of those areas, you know, let's let's uh, let's talk about it. You know, and and so I look forward to doing something like that. Sounds great. Well, I thank you so much for your willingness to reschedule a couple times to make this happen, and for being just so transparent and sharing your heart and your testimony with us today. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Thank you so much for having me on your show, Dina. Oh, thank you. Is there anything you want to leave everybody with? And also where the best place is they can connect with you, please. Yeah. So, I mean, if you go to robdeckerspeaks.com, um, you'll be able to see the CBN 700 Club video, uh, a chapter of a book, some articles, podcasts. Um, right now we're working on getting a, a tab up for, for Kingdom Fit. So Kingdom Fit will be the name of the fitness ministry. Uh, the FIT stands for Faith in Training. And uh, we'll have a, a donation page up there 
for that so that we can get the construction on that going and moving forward. So anyone that has um, a heart to help out in, in, in that arena, it's much appreciated. Um, also, you can always go to Rob Decker Speaks and, you know, ask me whatever you want. There's a place where you can uh, email me and my Facebook and my Instagram are attached to all that stuff. So you can follow me on social media. I do share my family a lot. Um, watching my little two-year-old grow up and, you know, pictures of my beautiful wife and some of the food that we eat and a lot of my fitness uh, um, videos. I mean, you're going to see a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, I always share the Lord on my social media. So, you know, I try to use social media as a platform to really encourage, motivate, inspire, lift people up. Um, There's a lot of uh, challenging material on social media that can really uh, harm somebody's um, thoughts or, you know, their spirit. And so, you know, I just do my best through my social media to lift people up. So they can always go on, on the website to check out all that stuff. And welcome back. Wow, that was a powerful story. I am always so impressed with how much vulnerability and courage that people have when they come onto the show. And Rob's story is no exception to that. I have to tell you, there's a couple times that I caught myself laughing and was really surprised because it wasn't funny at all. But I learned in positive psychology that when something is really difficult for us to understand, we will laugh nervously and it's so interesting to see myself doing that. I've done a lot of interviews and I still find it so, so hard to listen to the difficulty and devastation that takes place in people's life. However, it's always so wonderful when we get to the overcoming and that is what I would like to bring this community together around is the overcoming because if you're listening right now, there is something in your life that you are overcoming. It might be very obvious or it might be very invisible because sometimes the darkest, most difficult things that we face are the things that nobody else can see. So today I'm just praying for you, lifting you up, sending you encouragement that you're not alone. You share it with someone safe, someone trustworthy, that you reach out to community around you and you just don't let that thing hold you down. That today you may be inspired by Rob's story. There's something that you may take for that to use on your own journey. And please do reach out to Rob. Send him an email, a message on Instagram and just let him know that this touched you in some way. You can go to the show notes page at synergymindsetcoaching.com slash Rob Decker and everything mentioned here will be there for you. Thanks so much for listening and being a part of this community. We will be back next week with another interview at Synergy Mindset Coaching, the podcast.